Well, good morning. If you'd like to go ahead and take your Bibles out, be opening them up. We'll be using them quite a bit as we look to God's Word and continue a theme that we've already begun to look at. Uh, and that is the theme that we talked about last week. Um, we talked about in 1 John chapter 5, we use this as kind of a, an introduction to our, to our discussion. It says in verses 4 through 5, whoever or whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is, he, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I want to continue to look at this, uh, at what we started looking at with this idea that we have victory in, in, uh, in faith, or that faith is the victory. And we talked about in this previous study that faith, that the faith that overcomes the world is a faith or a strong conviction or a trust in Jesus, and that He is who He said He was, the Christ, the Son of God. We talked about that in class this morning, uh, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And in fact, He is the only way that provides a path to God and a path to eternal life. But it's also a strong conviction that, and that trust of Jesus that comes by studying His Word. By diving into the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. And it's evidenced, it's, uh, it's proved by God's Word. That's what John 20 told us. And it said that these things were recorded so that when we read them, we might believe in Jesus. We also talked about the fact that this faith that leads us to be a, find a victory over the world. And that world can include many different things, but it essentially includes anything that hinders our relationship with God. Now, last week we talked about, we, we mentioned some things such as anxiety and boredom and depression and despair, uh, discontentment, fear, grief, loneliness. These are some things that can, can hinder our relationship. And our purpose of this, this series is to illustrate how faith in Jesus helps us to overcome such things. But it's important to first talk about how faith in Jesus helps us to overcome sin. Today, sin doesn't seem to be taken seriously, not as serious as it should be. <clears throat> and the problem of sin is one that must be overcome if we're going to be victorious in anything else. Now, in some of the cases that we talked about earlier, that these, these things that we mentioned, such as anxiety and boredom, we can sometimes find sin to be an underlying cause of some of those problems. The last one we mentioned was loneliness. Maybe it's not too far of a stretch of the imagination to see how sin can provide loneliness. If, if we are the type of person that just continually and habitually lies and, and makes up things and talks bad and hates, hates their, uh, the people around them and just kind of a, uh, a person that is, is not described throughout the Scriptures as one that loves God. We can see how that can lead to a lonely life. You say, why am I so lonely? It's because I'm not walking in a relationship with God. I'm not following after Him. <clears throat> and so we can see that sometimes sin is the underlying problem with some of these things that we will talk about. But whatever the case may be, unless we overcome sin, we will not have God's help in overcoming the other problems that we have in our lives. And I hope that we're aware of that. If we look over in Isaiah 59, we're going to read just a few verses out of Isaiah this, this uh, morning. So you maybe leave your, leave your um, Bible marked there. But in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. 
But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Peter would say something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> there in verse 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There, as, as Peter quotes from, uh, from the Old Testament, again from Isaiah, we need to see that both of these passages are telling us something very important about God. And so in this lesson, I hope to do two things. I hope that we can, one, carefully identify sin for what it is, the problem that it is in our lives, and two, explain how faith in Jesus can help us to be victorious over sin. To begin, we must start by understanding the problem of sin. And to understand that, we need to understand there is guilt in sin. If you look over in Romans 3.23, a passage I know every one of us probably can, can quote, but let's read it together. Romans 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This passage here tells us that we are all guilty of sin. In fact, if we look over at James chapter 2, in verse 10, we get a peek here about how God looks at sin, how he differentiates between sin. In James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Whoever will keep the whole law, but he stumbles in one spot, in one place, he, he, he tri gets tripped up. He is guilty as if he, is, he has broken all of the law. What we see is that when God differentiates between sins, it's not a big wide margin like we sometimes like to think. Sometimes we have to think that there's, there's big sins and there's little sins, but this says even if we have committed just one sin, it is as though we have committed them all. Now obviously, obviously if I, if I tell a lie, if I get up here and I, and I tell some sort of lie or I'm, I'm making stuff up or I'm... I'm speaking evil of my, my brethren, or I don't have love. Well, that doesn't make me a, a stone-cold killer. I'm not going to go to jail for, for murder. But we can see by this passage, James chapter 2, that when God views sin, He views one just as bad as another. The small ones, and I'll put that in air quotes, the small ones along with the big ones. They're all the same to him. And that's because sin is so terrible and God is so holy. They are such on, they're on such different planes that it makes them all, even, even the ones that we might deem as small or insignificant, just as, as damning and condemn, uh, condemning us as any other ones. So there is a guilt to sin. But that guilt is both legal and it is emotional. There is a legal guilt, which means that you can violate God's law. James makes that very clear to us, that there is a law that is, that is capable of being violated. In 1 John chapter 3, John makes that very clear to us. In verse 4 of that, of that chapter, he says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, you might sometimes hear people say, Well, there was a law in the Old Testament. There's not a law in the New Testament. We don't have the law we have we have the, the, the command to, to try to live like Christ, but we don't have a law. But what is John saying here? He's saying if you, are one, if you are a sinner, if he is one who sins or walks in sin, commits sin, 
He is one who commits lawlessness. For there to be lawlessness, there must be a law. And then therefore is a legal guilt. When we break God's law, He will hold us accountable. And the price of that, the, the wages of that, breaking the law, Romans 6.23 tells us, is death. Again, passages that I know we know, but I want to look at them together this morning. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will hold us accountable in these cases. Romans 21 in verse 8 also tells us the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable uh, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There is a law that we are legally guilty of when we sin. But there is also an emotional guilt tied to sin as well. And that's one that pertains to a one's own conscience towards sin. When we have done something wrong and we feel it and we feel guilty, our conscience become burdened by this guilt for our sins. And I want to say now that it's not everyone has this. Not everyone feels this burden. Maybe, maybe some of you have, have rodin, uh, ridden a horse before. I, I've done that a, a time or two. We'll go down to maybe Tennessee or somewhere, and we'll go out on one of those excursions where you get to ride the horses around, and you're out for an hour or two, and you get back, and you <laughs> think, I'm never going to sit down again. My backside hurts so bad, and, and I'm sore all the way up to my shoulder blades, and just nothing feels good right now. It was a fun time, but I don't know if I want to do that again. You talk to these people that do it day in and day out, all the time riding horses, and they say, yeah, it hurt at first. And I did it again, and I did it again, and eventually I got used to it. It didn't hurt anymore. You become callous to those things. Sin has the same effect in our lives. At, at first we did something. We knew it was wrong. We know that there is guilt. There is, there is emotion there. It, it pricks our conscience. But over time, time and time again, as we engage in sin, it doesn't prick our conscience anymore. We become hardened to it. Our hearts become hardened. But I want to point out that even if we don't have the emotional guilt of sin, that doesn't wipe away the legal guilt of sin. We have still broken the law of the Lord, and He will still hold us accountable. He says as such in Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> Another passage talking about the accountability that we have towards God in Acts 17 and verse 30 says, truly, these times of ignorance is God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. God is going to hold us accountable. He is going to judge us on that last day by Jesus and by his word, and also by the words of those who have, have seen and learned from, from God and, and have repented and changed. But until then, until then, there's still a problem that sin faces. Because we see that, so that's, that seems bad enough. We read about it over in Revelation 21, this lake of fire, the second death. We have, we have a, a legal guilt, and if we are guilty of that, the punishment is death. Can it get much worse than that? But until then, we see that there is something that, that goes on uh, with, with our sin. Because unforgiven sin not only puts us... Uh, uh, in judgment with God, in which we will be held accountable, but it also prevents us in this day, in this life, right now, it prevents us from having God as our aid. 
God doesn't come to our aid. You remember we read that, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that God is capable, He is able, but because of your sins, He is not listening to you. That means we bear our burdens alone. We bear our trials alone. And where there was comfort and where there is peace and where there is strength in God, it's not for one who remains in their sins. In fact, look over another passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57, verses 18 through 21. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. He's talking about the the, the one that is turned from God but has a contrite heart, has a a heart that is able to be revived. He is one that is pricked and his conscience is, 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 he realizes his, his sins. God says, I've seen his ways. I will heal him. I will lead him. <clears throat> In verse 19, he says, I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled seas when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. <clears throat> Part of the problem of sin is the fact that it places us in guilt. It separates us from God in eternity, and it separates us from God today from the, the, the power and the strength that He has to give us. But there is also, as we think about that power of God, there is also another problem with sin because there is power of sin as well. The problem of sin is not just limited to guilt. Sin also has power to enslave a person so that they can't do what they really want to do. Turn over to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, in verses 31 through 34. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now this passage, so oftentimes we might we hear it misapplied today. This idea that the, the, the truth will set you free. You hear it all the time uh, in, in, in movies and you hear it uh, oftentimes in a, in a political type format. Uh, you know, every time one of these big hacker rings goes out and they get all the dirty laundry from the government and everybody else and they say they say here's the truth and it's going to set the american people free and certainly it stirs the pot and sometimes even makes changes happen that's not what this passage is talking about the freedom that jesus is talking about here is a freedom that only comes from the truth of the gospels the truth of who jesus is and the truth of what he has done and the truth about god <clears throat> the freedom under consideration is the freedom from the slavery of sin. As Jesus said, when one commits sin, they become a slave to sin. Now Paul vividly accounts <clears throat> in the Roman letter how sin controlled his life. In Romans chapter 7, <clears throat> I had to get the big cup today. I'm going to need every bit of it. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 7, Verses 14 through 24. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. 
If then I do what I will not, will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for the, to will is present with me. But how to perform and what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice." Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that, that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? One of these passages that just, there's a whole lot going on. I was like, how? Whoa, what is he talking about? There's a whole lot of willing to do and not doing. What's he talking about here? As we break it down in verse 14, he says that he is sold unto sin or sold under sin. In verse 15, he says, I could not do what I wanted to do. And the things that I wanted that, that I that I wanted to do or, or, or wish not to do, I did those things. He was persuaded. He was enticed. But in all reality, he was ensnared. He was captured by sin. He would say in verses 17 and in verse 20, sin was dwelling in me. It lived within me. In verse 18, he said, I desired to do good. It wasn't that I didn't want to. I desired to do good, but I didn't even know how to perform that which is good. Verse 23, he said, I found myself captive to the law of sin. It controlled me. In my members. And in verse 24, he said, I am, was wretched. It made him wretched, and he cried out of this body of death. We see in this, in this description of, of sin from, from Paul's former life that it's like a powerful drug. And one that we become enslaved to. We become addicted to it until we somehow are set free from the power of sin. Until that happens, the guilt of sin... It continues to separate us from God. Any problem we have, we face alone with no assistance from God. That's the problem of sin. That's why sin needs to be taken more seriously. That's why sin is not something that we just, we just glance over and we don't consider. It's a very real problem, but faith in Jesus is the victory. It allows us to be victorious over sin, to overcome sin, First, by providing the forgiveness of sin. In Acts chapter 10, look over there with me. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. <clears throat> it says, To him all the, prophets, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Remission of sins, forgiveness of sins is promised to those who believe in Jesus. How? How does this work? Ephesians 1 tells us it's made possible by His blood. Or in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, both call, both call Him the propitiation. He is the sacrifice that is pleasing to God in such a way that it is capable of causing forgiveness of sins. And in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, Romans 5 verse 9 tells us that it is through His blood that we are justified, saying much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath 
through him. His blood justifies us. That word justified. It's as if, it's as if we stand before the judge with the, with, with, with the relief of having a not guilty sentence passed down for us. Whenever we justify something uh, in, in our lives, maybe you justify numbers or expenses within a, within a report. It's showing that these things are, are, are worthy of keeping. We justify our, our use for something. Maybe uh, sometimes we go through the boy's closet. We say, all right, guys, here's all the toys. We, you need to justify why this toy that you haven't played with in, in three years is worth keeping instead of giving to someone else. We justify it by showing that it is worthy to be kept. Jesus' blood justifies us. Sinners, those who have, have, have been guilty of breaking God's law, that we are, we are worthy of being kept. Not because of what we have done, but because of what His blood is able to do for us. We are justified. This forgiveness is promised to those who believe. But that belief, that faith in Jesus is such a way that moves them to act. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, that's seen obvious. When they believed, we talked about this again in class 2. We talked about how these were men who at one point didn't believe. They crucified the Lord and then they came to that realization. They believed that He was the Son of God. This was the Christ. This was the Messiah, the anointed God with us. And we put Him on a cross. We hammered nails in His hands. We screamed for His blood. What can we do? They were moved. They were pricked in the heart. Now think about, about how those, those people must have felt. Not only with fear, but after knowing that through belief in Him, they could be forgiven of that. The change that that must have made in their lives. In fact, such a, a change that was so strong that as we've, as we've studied in this class on Revelation, that they gave their lives, many of them willing to die. Sometimes deaths that were far more even gruesome than just a cross. They gave their lives for Him because of what He did. That is, being, that, that is believing. Believing is more than just acknowledging that He is the Son of God. Believing is more than just acknowledging that He is the way to the Father, that He is the answer to the problem of sin. It is having that knowledge move within our hearts. That's the grace that we read about in Titus, that it prompts us to live godly lives, to change what we do. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, they said, what do we do? He said, every one of you repent and be baptized. Repentance is that change of mind, to turn from sin and to turn to God. Baptism is the way in which we are connected with His death and His burial, the way in which we were united with Christ, that we might be crucified with Him. We crucify the old man, and we rise to a new life, a life that has changed. Romans 6, verses 3-7 through tells us. And forgiveness continues as we repent, continually. As we continue to, to recognize the problem of sin, and when we fall back into that problem, back into that snare, we repent of that again and again as many times as it takes. We will never stop fighting Satan. We will continue to turn away from him and turn towards God. And we will confess those sins in prayer to him, our high priest. In this way, Jesus tells us that he deals both with the guilt of sin 
and with the uh, legally and also with the emotional guilt of sin. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9 for a moment. The Hebrew writer tells us in verse 14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So not only do we see the blood of Christ, which justifies us, it, de- it takes care of the legal guilt of sin, but he, the Hebrew writer tells us it takes care of the emotional guilt of sin. He cleanses our consciences. And that's because it provides the power over sin. In Romans 6, verses 6 through 7, Paul speaks about freedom from sin. He says we should no longer be slaves of sin. As he admitted, whenever he was living in sin, he was. He says we have been freed from sin. Later in chapter 8, <coughs> turn over there for a moment. Chapter 8 and verses 1 and 2, he says, therefore, or There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to, or yeah, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And if we skip down a little bit to verse twelve, he says, "Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live." The law. The principle of the spirit of life in Christ frees one from the law of sin and death. And in particular, he talks about how the spirit enables us. It helps us, it aids us to put to death the deeds of the body. With the aid of the spirit, we now have the help of God to overcome sin. Turn over to Ephesians. This isn't the only place we see this. In Ephesians 3, And in verse 16, it says that he would grant you. (coughs) This was the prayer that Paul prayed. Verse 14, he says, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus. In verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. In verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And over in Philippians as well, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. What's he say there? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is through the power of God, through the, the, the working of the Holy Spirit, through the working of Christ, that we are strengthened. We are aided to, to put to death that old man to put aside the old life that we lived and to walk in a new life following the Lord. In fact, that is the promise of the Spirit that was given by Jesus and His apostles. Jesus gave it in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. So on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We also see in Acts chapter 2, after those who who repented and believed and were baptized, 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we see that it ends there with this promise. It says, For those who of you who are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. All who are called in that day and our day have the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. To those who obey Him and become children of God. Acts chapter 5, verse 32 goes on to talk about it. It says, and we are his witnesses to these, to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What is this gift of the Holy Spirit? Certainly it is not the, the things that we read about in, in those first days that we know were meant to confirm the word. It is not the miraculous gifts of, of healing and of knowledge without having ever studied uh, or, or speaking a tongue without ever having actually spoken that tongue, be able to speak in, in someone else's language or be able to interpret without ever, ever having to, uh, to, to, to learn that. It's, it's not those miraculous gifts because we know in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about those gifts have ceased. They came to an end. They had a purpose. The purpose was served. So what is the gift of the Holy Spirit? It is the renewed relationship that we have with the Father. The power and the guilt of sin separated us from Him so that he was, not, he was not listening to our prayers. He was not providing the help that we needed. Now sometimes we think, well, what about Cornelius? Cornelius was, was a, a sinner. He was not baptized and yet God heard his prayer. And so we certainly need to understand what we're talking about here. We need to understand when we talk about sin, we're talking about about those who have been overtaken by sin, who have knowingly committed sin, not those who are seeking God, but have yet to come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm talking about those who choose to walk in their own path. And that separates us from, from Him. We are not able to receive His power. We are not able to receive His strength, His peace, and His comfort. But the gift of the Holy Spirit is that we have a relationship renewed with Him. A relationship with God the Father through His only begotten Son. A relationship through Jesus that deals with the power of sin by providing the power of God and to the one who is willing to believe in Jesus. To the one who is willing to, to have a trust and a conviction to do what He says. Then, as the song says, faith is the victory. Certainly victory over sin over the legal guilt of sin, over the emotional guilt of sin, over the power of sin that enslaves us, that traps us. And He does this through the gift of His blood. And he does this through the gift of His Spirit. With such wonderful gifts as these, we can now have the kind of relationship with God by which we can overcome whatever else stands between us. Whatever the world might throw at us. When we have overcome sin, through His blood, through faith in Him, believing that He is the Son of God, believing that His blood is capable to, to cleanse us, believing in such that we walk in that manner in obedience to Him, then the problem with, of sin can be overcome through the power of God. And at that point, the problems of, of many other things Problems of, of loneliness, the problems of despair and of fear and even of anxiety. And again, we, we know what we're talking about here. We know we're talking about these things that are, that are prompted by sin, not prompted by, by maybe uh, chemical imbalances or, or, or not being well. 
We can overcome that. We don't have to live in subjugation. We don't have to live ensnared to those things. So the question for us today is, will we walk in victory? Will we overcome sin? In just a few moments, we're going to sing number 344. Who at my door is standing? The song refers to the idea that Jesus stands at the doors and knocks. The opportunity is available to us. The invitation is there to receive the power of His blood, to receive the power of, of, of His Spirit and the aid of God which allows us to walk a life victorious. And all that, all that is for those who believe in Jesus, that He is the Son, that His blood is capable, that His commands are worthy to be followed. If we can help you with that this morning in any way, please come forward right now as we stand and sing number 344.